This week's episode of the Religious Studies Project is brought to you by Equinox Publishing. They're offering a 25% discount on their new books, including Setting Out in the Great Way, Essays on Early Mahayana Buddhism, which is edited by Paul Harrison. Just go to equinoxpub.com and use the code RELIGION at checkout for 25% off. That's 25% off using the code RELIGION at equinoxpub.com. Here's the show. Welcome listeners, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's the Religious Studies Project with your good pals Chris Cotter and David Robertson. How are you over there, David? I am incredibly tired. How are you? I'm not too bad today. Um, last week, uh, worse. Uh, we've, we've, we've taken the recording immediately after we've both been teaching. Uh, so it's, it's you know, you're, you're getting the, the full wonders of, of the Edinburgh semester right at you, listeners. Um, Talking of Edinburgh. Yeah, exactly. Um, we've got a, an interview uh, with our uh, Edinburgh colleague um, who's uh, completing her PhD here at Edinburgh with Anya Warren. And uh, Ross Downing spoke to her about her work on the Dark Goddess. Um, we've heard a lot about it um, over the past few years whilst Anya's been with us in Edinburgh. So we're really excited that you're going to get to hear about it now. Um, straight over to Ross in Belfast back in September. Uh, my name is Ross Downing. We are at Basel Conference in Belfast, and I'm speaking to Anya Warren, also known as Anya Orga. She has an article in the works for the Journal of Contemporary Religion entitled Altars for the Morrigan, the Legitimizing Agency of a Goddess in the Networked Flow of Authority of a YouTube Subculture. And under her sub, uh, pseudonym, Anya Orga, she has three essays in a book independently published, uh, edited by John Halstead, entitled Godless Paganism Voices Non-Theistic Paganism. She has a BA in English Literature, two MAs, uh, one of which is in Religious Studies from Edinburgh, where she is currently doing PhD under the supervision of Stephen Sutcliffe. And her project, and what we're going to be talking about today, is on the Dark Goddess. So my first question is... What or who is the Dark Goddess? Thinking about who the Dark Goddess is has really been a, an ongoing process through my whole PhD uh, because it's a title that can be used to kind of describe something quite vague, a vague idea of what the goddess is or a type of great goddess or more specifically to, to describe individual goddesses. What interested me about it was that it seemed to be used in the online pagan community to mean something quite specific, despite the fact that the title is so kind of broad. So it kind of became apparent to me that it was being used in this very particular way and associated with a journey to the dark goddess and a very particular kind of journey, inward journey into the inner self that was being facilitated by this dark goddess figure and that she was being associated with sort of trials and hardships during someone's life and um, that the dark goddess experience was seen as being kind of caught up in, in difficult difficult life moments and life experiences. And so that led me to kind of try and find out, well, where does this idea originate? Where does this dark goddess figure originate? And uh, came across really just a handful of books, really. There's only a dozen books that I was able to find, nonfiction books, with the, the words the dark goddess in the title uh, that have been published since the 1990s. So I've been kind of figuring out from there and uh, limiting myself just to those books and then to YouTube videos, which as far as I've found have kind of given the best understanding of certainly within the community of 
kind of contemporary paganism and sort of um, goddess spirituality, uh, what the dark goddess is kind of within that community. Um, there's certainly more that I could be looking at, like in online forums or Facebook or Instagram and Tumblr and so on, but I have decided to draw a line. <laughs> and how did you get into that subject? Because it's, it is obviously a marginal or fringe perhaps is a negative yes. <laughs> term, but it's certainly a small community. How did you come across it and what drew you to it? Um, I think the way I came across it initially was through a personal interest in the Irish goddess, the Morrigan. And it was kind of through, before I was actually in religious studies academically, uh, I was encountering people online talking about the Morrigan and, and watching YouTube videos and so on. And so it sort of became apparent that there was quite a specific understanding of that particular deity evolving online. And I've done some previous research on that. I did my master's dissertation on a particular small community of people on the Morrigan and creating Morrigan altars. And yeah, one thing that I noticed was that she was being described as a dark goddess and it was kind of becoming apparent that calling her a dark goddess was meant something a bit more than just saying that she was a, a goddess and dark, that there was some sort of title of the dark goddess that was being used to describe her or to kind of contextualize her. And uh, yeah, that was kind of how I got into it. And then kind of in the wider contemporary pagan YouTube community, there's definitely a lot of people mentioning other goddesses as being dark goddess or you know, part of the dark goddess. It's interesting because um, it seems almost to be um, rather than a specific cult or community based on, as you say, a, a specific dark goddess with a name. It's almost, it almost seems to be in, in the sociology of religion. There's one, one idea that religion or religiosity or movements, certainly New Age uh, movements or new religious movements, that these are perhaps languages to allow people to certainly to handle the postmodern world and uh, a globalized world. And do you think that is a relevant description or tool yeah. to understand it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think in the first instance, it's interesting that it's a, a name that can be used to describe the experiences of devotees of a multitude of goddesses in the first mm -hmm. place is kind of the online pagan community is is very much focused on people's individual solitary practices. And there's kind of this sense that if people are engaging with the dark goddess through these individual goddesses, that they can kind of relate to one another um, in a way that might be more difficult if they were just kind of trying to explain to each other what their individual practices are. This is kind of a way of saying, well, yes, you know, I, I work with Hell or I work with the Morrigan, I work with Kali. And this is kind of understanding that these, because these are under the umbrella of the Dark Goddess, that therefore they have a commonality and that they're kind of part of some sort of implied community. Um, and yeah, there's definitely a sense then that there is such a specific discourse of the Dark Goddess that uh, there, a lot can be understood just through one person saying, you know, I work with a dark goddess or the dark goddess, a lot is implied through that. And anyone who has kind of delved into the contemporary pagan uh, community online or on YouTube will immediately have an understanding of what that means. They'll immediately be familiar with the discourses of that community and of the dark goddess. And yeah, have that understanding that this is something that is quite focused on the female experience, uh, quite focused uh, even sometimes on environmental issues, that can be something that, that comes up. And there's just sort of this particular discourse that's being tapped into and that is being implied even just through the use of that term. It's an interesting descriptor that she's dark. 
it's obviously a very loaded word to describe that. And it's, it's obviously negative to some people, uh, but there's also an aura of mystery and a hell of a lot of power involved in that. And it certainly seems to be an empowerment uh, movement. Would you care to elaborate on the meanings of dark? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the time, a lot of the different understandings of what the dark goddess is, is really tied up in what people's understanding of the word dark means and the implications of that. Um, I will mention briefly just the question of uh, skin color and dark skin. That's something that gets referenced very occasionally. People will interpret the dark goddess as meaning a, dark, a goddess with dark skin. Mm. But I would say that across the literature that I'm looking at, that's not what's intended at all. But it is something that gets kind of picked up sometimes. And I think maybe perhaps misinterpreted occasionally mm. that this is kind of an, an, a weird appropriation of a, a dark skinned goddess, sometimes seen as being Kali primarily. Um, but that definitely is not the primary understanding here. Um, yeah, there's definitely an understanding that dark is a part maybe of nature broadly that is being, or that has kind of historically been relegated from, well, from society generally, um, but also from religious practices, that it's been seen as something that is not to be approached, not to be encouraged, that's not to be approached within the self as well and so the dark is definitely seen as something that can be interpreted as being negative or certainly that is difficult in some way it's it's the dark is kind of the difficult parts of the self the parts of the self that are uh maybe destructive and so on but also it's seen as something that is very necessary to kind of the the cycles of nature and to uh just kind of the ups and downs of life and of the personality and so on so it's definitely seen as a very as necessary to any kind of holistic understanding of the self and also just of nature and more much more widely um when you mentioned uh, the goddess kali um the great vivian crowley was in the audience um, at your presentation and asked specifically about um the types of people that are drawn to the dark goddess or participating or contributing to this idea. Um, have you looked at the, the wider historiographical development of, of the goddess? Like who, what countries did it seem to develop from? Um, is there any specific movements that have been connected to this? I mean, who who are these people and what, what draws them to, what motivates them? Yeah. Um, I mean, because the numbers are so small, it's a little bit difficult to make generalizations. Um, I would say, I mean... Similarly to the kind of contemporary pagan uh, demographic generally online, the majority of the voices are, um, they are white women from either uh, America or from Britain, mostly speaking. There are some Australians in there as well. There always are some Australians in there and some of the books as well definitely been written by some Australians. Um, but there, there is a little bit of diversity. Um, I certainly remember there was at least one black woman in the uh, YouTube videos. And then there are a couple of Indians as well, specifically related to Kali. And when I first started doing the research, I actually expected that there might be two different threads going on, that there might be one thread of sort of the white Westerners, dark goddess, uh, which would be emerging in kind of the books that weren't specifically associated with Kali and that there was going to be something slightly different going on with the books that were written specifically about Kali as the dark goddess. Um, but interestingly, I discovered uh, once I started analyzing the texts that it was largely the same kind of discourse emerging across the board and that those texts were kind of engaging with 
the maybe not the contemporary pagan kind of milieu, but certainly with kind of goddess spirituality. So generally speaking, the same kind of idea seems to be um, arising across the board and connected to uh, very roughly speaking to kind of Jungian psychology. Um, so it is quite a diverse span of people, really. But again, a little bit difficult to make generalizations based just on the uh, the amount of data that I've been looking at. Um, I think to to delve into that further, I would be wanting to kind of look at uh, probably more look at the viewers of the videos and to look maybe at Facebook groups and and so on to kind of get a a wider range of, you know, a greater number of practitioners to kind of make any generalizations from. Um, you mentioned Jung and Jungian psychology there. And in new religious movements, or certainly new age movements, there seems to be an element of therapy involved in these things. Jungian psychology and therapy seem to go together. So how do they, do they, do they consciously apply that? Yeah, Jung is a figure who just sort of floats in the background of all of this. And I find that he tends to be present kind of across the board in these communities. And um, it, but he's kind of evoked, but then not really addressed. And there's no kind of direct line drawn really between uh, the books. And, and sometimes there's even overt statements made of, you know, that this is, we're talking about the shadow, but we're not talking about Jungian practices. Um, but there is, there is a definite therapeutic element uh, to the the practices and to even just the way that the dark goddess is talked about um so there is this sense that it's that the dark goddess is something that can be used or a, an entity that can be used or um invited into the into the individual in order to uh, really to kind of improve one's well-being but i would say that the focus is really not so much just on focusing on one's kind of how well someone is the individual is performing in society or just their kind of physical or mental well-being there's kind of this always this kind of wider implication that interacting with the dark goddess or having a dark goddess experience that kind of as a side effect these good things will happen and, and the person will kind of will have a kind of an improved sense of of wellness but widely speaking it's it's a much kind of deeper and broader question and kind of seen as being this much um kind of bigger picture necessary step that there's something that's kind of something deep and important about the human experience and about kind of um our understanding of nature and and kind of a, a kind of a disjoint between the human and nature and that encountering and, and working with the dark goddess is going to heal that on some kind of basic level so it kind of transcends any sort of personal therapy and goes kind of beyond into some much kind of bigger picture idea of what needs to be solved kind of in the world. The the aspect of being dark sounds quite not a spooky but <laughs> quite scary. And um from the, the data that you presented, that seems to be something that they're consciously aware of, almost like this daredevil aspect or perhaps even picking up on cultures, say like Camden Blay, that um focus on possession. One of the 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 bits of data that I picked up on uh, that you presented was when uh, one of these writers said that someone was not really looking her in the eye, and that sounds to me a very, very powerful visual thing. There, I think um, Rudolf Otto dealt with that in in the idea of the divine um, being tremendum et fascinans, that the 
the deity that you're in contact with is both fascinating, you're drawn to it, but it also instills a sense of terror. So what's going on here? Is is it that kind of Ottonian duality there? or Yes, very much so. Uh, there's very much a sense kind of across the board that, yeah, if one is interacting with a, a divine entity of some kind and there isn't this sense of almost fear or discomfort, that something is lacking, that there's something that's not being contacted or that there's something not quite authentic about that experience. And um, this is particularly so with the dark goddess. Like there's kind of a sense that, well, yeah, you, if you want to do something nice and easy and light, then you can kind of go and talk to some other goddess. Uh, but if you want to talk to the dark goddess, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be a bit spooky. And that's just how she is. Um, but I think there's also a sense that this is saying something about uh, authentic religion in general, and that in order to be truly authentic as a spiritual person, that you need to be encountering the dark goddess. And that is kind of sometimes explicitly stated that if you're not having dark goddess experiences or interacting with that kind of essence, that there's something kind of crucial about divinity and about the nature of existence that's being missed and that's not being addressed. And that's a really common theme across the board and kind of ties into that idea of uh, that, yeah, in order to kind of have a holistic self or a holistic understanding of uh, the nature of cosmos, that the dark goddess has to be encountered and has to be acknowledged and has to be embraced. Sorry to interrupt the episode, but we just wanted to let you know to remind you about our Patreon link. Uh, the Religious Studies Project has always been free since its inception, um, but we know that there's a great problem in academia with uh, people not being paid for the work that they're expected to do, particularly early career scholars. And we at the RSP want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So you can help if you can spare even one pound a month um, by going to patreon.com slash Project RS and subscribing. We know that these podcasts are very useful for people who are teaching and people in their learning. So if you can help um, either by subscribing there or by making a one-off donation using the PayPal button on our website, it'd be greatly appreciated and will help us keep bringing you this podcast for free and fight against exploitation in academia. But now, back to the episode. I, I think it's really exciting um topics that you're that you're bringing up here for generally for the study of religion because um you you mentioned that there's an ambiguity of ontology it's it's really fascinating that they're awakening um or searching for an authentic self inside them and at the same time say inviting something in from the outside um that seems to me to have great potential to be applied to um, religious studies theory in, in general. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I kind of like the sense that if and in this community, and it's definitely reflected, I've seen anyway, in, in some other pagan communities and other contemporary spiritual communities, if there's this sense that uh, religion, spirituality, or the divine, that is primarily something that's been contacted within the self, it kind of almost negates the question of its reality or whether it needs to be whether it, uh, there's any yeah there's any need for it to be kind of uh, authorized by science or by a scientific paradigm, so it kind of very interestingly allows the people in this community to kind of uh, to buy into a couple of different kinds of authority, and that there's no need for them to to yeah like negate 
science or a scientific paradigm that they've been raised in in order to really see the the uh, importance or the kind of efficacy of this practice, um, which I think is very interesting. Yeah, you said um, you, there was a key word that, that I picked up on that I really, really liked. You talked about interiorization. It became apparent um, as you were discussing it that you weren't talking about internalization. Um, that internalization seems to be, as I understood from what you were saying, is, is perhaps just an act or a method in an overall uh, doctrine of, of focus on the interior. Um, could you talk more about the, the dichotomy or the difference between the interior and the internal? Yeah, I, I guess, again, it kind of comes down to that idea of um, whether it's about whether the religious practice in question is really about just focusing on something inside the self to the detriment of something outside the self versus um, that the, the religious or, or spiritual practice in question is more about uh, taking the interior as the kind of mode of interpretation of something that is understood to not just be within, but also be without. So that then the kind of subjective experience of, of what they're doing and what they're looking at in the world kind of becomes um, a way of reinterpreting, a way of, of, of understanding their surroundings. And um, this kind of ties into the idea of the dark goddess being something that is both simultaneously within and, and outside of the self. So it kind of, I think it kind of breaks down that barrier then of, of the question of whether divinity is something that is you know purely in the mind or that it's purely a metaphor or an archetype or something that isn't real versus something that is real outside in the world and that needs to be kind of found outside of the self it's kind of it's almost like this alternative version of reality that can be viewed from this yet particular kind of internalized understanding of reality that makes sense. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult. <laughs> it's very yeah. It's very difficult yeah. to. to That's express. why I think it's so it's so fascinating with religious studies because there's, there's this constant um, pursuit in in terminology uh, to try and find different ways of expressing the in, inexpressible. Yeah. And uh, when you look at a, a community that is trying to do that without academic language, um, mm. it, it's almost like. Yeah, maybe they they know, they know something that we don't. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So a lot of your data um, involves the YouTube and social media because this is obviously a really good tool for people in new religious movements. I'm interested and concerned that um, there's a lot of women putting themselves out there talking about very personal things, which are probably open to, to ridicule. How? What, what kind of reception have they had? I mean, trolls and yeah. the alt-right and all sorts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, on the videos that I've been analysing, there are no kind of negative comments to be found on those videos. Um, generally speaking, the community is very kind of affirmative and the people who are commenting, or at least the comments that are left for the public to see, are from people, like-minded people, usually women who are, kind of have had similar experiences. Um, but, I mean, you, you don't have to scratch the surface too much to, to see 
that there definitely is a certain amount of issues with, with that kind of behavior um, in the community. I mean, um, I'm part of one group where I've had a, seen a conversation very recently of people expressing concerns about their YouTube channels, about continuing with, the, with their YouTube channels, women who are feeling uncomfortable because they've witnessed other women in the community um, experiencing really terrible trolling behavior um, to the point of being stalked or harassed. And um, it's always kind of there under the surface. Uh, generally, it get, gets dealt with by people just blocking, deleting comments. So kind of there isn't a culture of um, of it being out in the open and, and being able to kind of read the horrible comments that are being left under these videos because they tend to be just deleted and blocked. But it's definitely there under the surface. It's definitely something that, um, that yeah, the YouTubers encounter in particular, I, particularly, I think, female female YouTubers, yeah. It, it does really sound quite... Um you know, part of the zeitgeist then, really, yeah. what's going on at, at the moment in Western society, well, even Eastern countries, you've got the Hindu movement um, in India, where there's just this rise of of intolerance and, and the new right, which is almost becoming established and institutionalized. So it seems like this, even though it's a small happening in a small community, mm-hmm. it has a, has a much greater, um, it's perhaps a, uh, a litmus test for for massive social relevance and social movements. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is across the board, the question of feminism outright gets dealt with in different ways, I would say, in the texts, in the books and in, in the YouTube videos. Sometimes it's not a word that's really raised at all. And some of the women will kind of say, oh, you know, we're, we don't, we're not saying that men are a problem or we're not, you know, kind of rallying against the idea of the patriarchy, but really across the board, it's, the dark goddess movement is very much a feminist one um, and fam- very much uh, sometimes just outright discussing the problem of the patriarchy and, and, and so on and so forth. So it's definitely a movement. I can understand why it's kind of still being um, still kind of maybe on the rise. I would say that certainly the Morrigan is an increasingly popular goddess. So there's this, uh, def- while it is a very small community, there's definitely this sense that it's um, reflecting something that's happening in broad in kind of broader society. So where do you where do you go from here now with your with your research? Obviously, you have you've got publications coming out, um, and you've got your your website, which is a mix of academic and more free free expressionism. <laughs> um, but once you've you've done your PhD and and, and things. Uh, and as as we said, that you know, there's so much material in here that uh, you've got feminism and uh, theory of religion, you know, political relevance. So, so you're just going to see where yeah. the next step is, and then go from. I'm I'm kind of on the fence at the moment. I I may branch out and do something completely different beyond the PhD. I haven't completely decided. Um, I have been considering doing something that's not necessarily within pagan studies um, because one question that I was asked I think I was asked or maybe I just brought it up (laughs) during my paper was about um, field work and whether the question of doing interviews and so on and I think if I was going to continue down this line of research I would want to be broadening uh, my my field of data by doing some sort of um, some sort of interviewing or, or, or something along those lines from field work and it's something that I've always been uncomfortable about doing because of my role uh, within the community, because of the kind of insider-outsider problem. Um, because as Anya Orga, I am a figure in the pagan community and certainly within the Dark Goddess movement. Um, anyone who 
is online talking about the Morrigan has probably come across me. And so I kind of get this sense that there's I, I there's already this sense uh, that the community maybe has a lot of trust in me. And I've always been afraid of kind of abusing that trust in some way that people might say things to me or might open up about things or share things with me without necessarily reason, realizing that I've got my academic hat on and without necessarily wanting me to use that kind of in my academic publication. So I think, yeah, I, I may branch out. I may do, do something a little bit different in the future, but I have to wait and see. Get the PhD finished first. There's so much food for thought here. Thank you soon to be Dr. Oinya. Thank you. (laughs) So we're out of the way, way back machine. We're back to Edinburgh today. Um, Great to hear that. And um, I I think we said this before, but uh, Ross volunteered to do some interviews and then and took it he had an idea he wanted to to interview some younger scholars uh, you know y- earlier career scholars probably better to say um which which is great for us so yeah. uh, i hope so you enjoyed much. that one yeah um i think something that was cut out of our last uh podcast due to uh, technical issues and then re-recording you'll remember um and we were recording across the, the North Sea last mm-hmm. time. I was to mention we've passed 5,000 followers on Facebook. Um, so thank you to everyone. Um, it, it's delicious to see how much that's grown. That is, uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic. And a reminder um, of how important kind of social media remains for many people, despite the current, uh, you know, complaints. Exactly. Um Another thing that we like to remind you about often is our uh, Patreon uh, subscription. Uh, you can sign up for um, a regular, very minimal uh, commitment on Patreon. And um, you get some bonus content. Also, if your department sponsors the podcast, you get some bonus content. And uh, well, we might play some of that for you now. What is it, David? Well, this is a clip from... Um, what we've, we've got a couple of different shows. We've mentioned Discourse before, which is our kind of uh, current affairs um, take on, you know, religion in the news. And I'm doing the quote marks around religion. But this is a clip from uh, Are You My Data, which is our kind of interview format where we speak to scholars as people. And... Uh, very fitting that the first person on it is uh, Carol Cusack, one of the RSP's, the RSP's biggest fan, as well as our Christmas special champion. Uh, so here's a, here's a little uh, clip from Carol speaking to me. What I usually say nowadays to people is if you really, 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 really want a career, you just have to understand that you can't give up. You will let attrition get rid of the other people. They will fall by the wayside. And eventually, somewhere between 40 and 45, you might get a job. Well, I got a job when I was 35, so it was earlier. But I did. I saw out a lot of other people who gave up and became depressed and decided that academia wasn't for them. And I did a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have done And just in case you think that's going to point to some kind of amazing sex scandal or not, it isn't. What I'm going to say is that now, as an ardent supporter of the academic union in Australia, the National Tertiary Education Union, I tell students not to do things that they're not paid for. But for many, many, many years, I picked up after people. I made coffee. I still sought mail, book rooms, 
fill photocopiers with paper, do incredible numbers of footling chores that I shouldn't actually have to do. And it's partly because when you're in a small embattled area, the front presented to the world must be seamless. Everything must work. And that usually means doing an awful lot of stuff that actually isn't part of your job. And you just have to, you just have to suck on it. You know, that's, that's how it is. Wonderful to hear that, David. I know I haven't heard the whole thing yet, and I'm going to have to go right on to the special patrons area. Type well, in some my of your questions. Secret it? code, yeah. Good. So, um, um, also, if you know, if you've enjoyed uh, Are You My Data, we've got another one coming up with Russell McCutcheon in a week or two. And if you have suggestions for uh, other people that we can speak to, please email us at editors at religiousstudiesproject.com and we'll be soliciting for more questions for future episodes very soon. Yeah. So don't forget to come back later in the week for the usual podcast response. Um, the, the role has been ably taken over by Rebecca Barrett-Fox and Marek Sullivan. Um, so we've been enjoying those responses trickling out. And then don't forget a new podcast for you next week. It's Indeed. my conversation with uh, Carmen Becker uh, about the, the secular and the religious and the construction of the category refugee in contemporary Germany. So a very topical, but also critical podcast. And great to hear from our European colleagues as ever. What else do we always say as ever? Um, vielen Dank. Vielen Dank for, for listening. For listening. <laughs> the RSP is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. The Religious Studies Project is produced by the Religious Studies Project Association, SCIO, a Scottish charitable incorporated organization, charity number SC047750. Brought to you by founders and editors-in-chief Chris Cotter and David Robertson and managing editor Thomas J. Coleman III. Our features are edited by Marek Sullivan and Rebecca Barrett-Fox and our opportunities digest by Ella Bock. Podcast transcription by Helen Bradstock with audio editing by Gregory Schneider and Samuel Ward. Social media managed by Ray Radford, sales and marketing by Sammy Bishop and video editing by Jonathan Tuckett. Don't forget you can support the project by using our amazon.com.co.uk and .ca links or donating at patreon.com slash projectrs and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, YouTube, iTunes and other portals.